Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the five-year plan interview series. So we're cracking on now. This is October's interview. And I'm sure you'll have seen already with the one and only Clint Hill, Palace Legends. We'll be getting into it very soon. Before we do that, speaking of Palace Legends, Jack Pierce is here. Jack, how are you doing? Oh, thank you, Jim. Well, my ego's my ego has been uh, amplified after that. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good, Jim. Yeah. Uh, we just reflected before we press record what a lovely chat was with Clint. So uh, yeah, looking forward to, to people hearing this one. It was indeed. Um, techno- technologically, it took us a while to get on, on board. We had a few <laughs> tech issues, which I think Clint, Clint references. But he was, as soon as we got it working, he was sunny, cheerful, lovely. I mean, it was an absolute, just a, a joy to be in his presence. And as we'll get onto in a bit, I mean, really opens up about a lot of the aspects of his time at Palace. Yeah, including kind of insight that you don't normally get even from ex-players about the thought process about even joining Palace in the first place. And um, the considerations that he and his family had to kind of make at that time. So really interesting insight just from a kind of generic footballer's perspective, but obviously our listeners will be interested to hear it specifically referencing joining Palace. But um, yeah, really insightful and clearly in a good place, clearly enjoying his work that he's doing, which you know he'll, he'll go into detail in a, in a minute about. But um, yeah, really uh, positive outlook from Clint. Um, but again, quite honest insight into what it's like post-playing career as well, even though he's still within the game. Um, so yeah, very open and, and insightful guy. Indeed. Before we crack on, then we share this interview. Uh, I should mention we're delighted that this interview series that we're really enjoying doing is sponsored by our friends at Eternity Home Finance this season. They're a Croydon-based Palace-supporting family-run mortgage and protection advisors. From getting on the property ladder to planning your retirement, email info at eternityhomefinance.com and for a free consultation, quote the code FYP. 
obviously, Jack, we do also talk about Hillsborough um, and Clint's, uh, <laughs> what shall I say here, incident. And actually, it's the first time I've actually he- heard him go into the details of what actually happened that day. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of Palace fans might be, a lot of listeners to the podcast might be fast-forwarding to that bit specifically. Um, but yeah, worth the wait. And uh, <laughs> you almost, uh, yeah, no, I won't say anything. Maybe we'll, we'll do that in the uh, the kind of reflection at the end of the pod. But he does talk about that. We can confirm he does talk about that. But I don't want to give anything away. I'll let him tell the story rather than yeah. rather than us say anything. We do tease it. We do tease it quite a lot, uh, including, I think, during the pod saying, we'll come to Hillsborough in a minute. Come to Hillsborough in a- <laughs> 10 minutes later. We'll come to Hillsborough. I think even Clint was like, can we just get to Hillsborough, please? I'm desperate to tell you about how I beat up half the city. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, there's so much. There's, I mean, we've, we've been lucky. This whole series has been great. I mean, we've some great characters on really giving insight into life at Palace, life beyond Palace. And, and Clint's very open about joining, about bit of reticence to actually joining and then being given the smooth talk by Neil Warnock and then leaving to rejoin Warnock at, uh, at QPR. And um, Warnock pops up a lot in these pods. I feel like we're always like two degrees of separation from Neil Warnock, no matter who we interview. It's true, actually, because we've just recorded another one and Warnock's quite an important character in that one too. Hmm. Yeah, good point. Uh, yeah. Do you, I mean, think, the, do you think the, wherever you are in the world of foot, in English football, Whatever, wherever you are, if you're a Palace fan or a fan of another club, and you go to the game, you're in a stadium. Depending on who you're next to, do you think? Do you think you could legitimately be seven degrees from Neil Warnock at all times? <laughs> Quite possibly, such as his impact on English football heritage of the last fifty years. Uh, yeah, quite possibly. Him, Roy, Sam yeah. Allardyce. You know, these yeah, these bastions, bastions of the English game of the last, uh, the last period. But uh, yeah, quite possibly. Some people would be happier to be within seven degrees of of Neil Warnock. Other people maybe not so comfortable. But where, where I sit in, the, you know, obviously I sit in the players' lounge at Palace, and so often there's players, family, and friends. So I actually think most games I legit, I probably am not far. Yeah, from Neil Warnock, degree wise, not far from. I mean, you think of it in modern way, you're probably not too far from people that have got Neil Warnock in their phone book. Exactly. Think of it that way. So, very, actually, do I have? No, I don't. <laughs> but I, uh, do you know what? One as a potential podcast, if we could round off this series this season with Neil Warnock, then don't we can just put the whole it. thing to bed. And we'll just, don't float it. Only going to disappoint listeners if we if we don't deliver it. Only going to disappoint people now. But this anyway, one's up, and, and he, his, his insight about Warnock is really interesting. But actually, I found it really interesting talking about this, just the. You know, we've spoken and you've spoken in particular, so many people about Hillsborough. So many players. I think we're nearly at the full eleven now. Um, Alisson and die if you're out there, please return our messages. Um, but we're we're so close to filling that whole team. Um, but every time you talk to one of them, you get a slightly different element of their feedback about that game. And and we got to Clint Hill, and, and you know, we talked about him joining the club. But it's quite interesting to get his viewpoint about how how he was in terms of leaving the club as well and that how that played into his mindset going into Hillsborough. So yeah, really interesting insight from, from Clint and um, yeah, uh, as, as he describes his journey to palace was an interesting one. Um, And then as he touches on towards the end of the pod featured in perhaps the most high profile premier league match of the premier league era. Which I'd completely not palace related. Until he, not palace you know, related, but until he casually brought chat. up, oh, and I just also, you know, watched Aguero score the most important <laughs> goal in the Premier League. I was like, oh yeah, you played in that, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, I think enough teasing. Let, let, let's uh, let's get on by introducing the next in our interview series this season, Palace legend uh, and band from Sheffield. It's the one and only Clint Hill.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Five Year Plan podcast interview series sponsored by Eternity Home Finance for free consultation. Email info at eternityhomefinance.com and quote the code FYP. Everyone knows that by now. Joining us for this interview, we are delighted to welcome a man who played 127 times for Palace, scored seven goals, and is now probably banned from Sheffield for taking on half the city. It's the one and only Clint Hill. Clint, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, guys. How are you? You okay? Very good indeed, especially now that you've joined us uh, here as well. So we're obviously going to take a, a trip down memory lane through your Palace memories. But I thought we'd start off just by asking you what you're up to now, because I know that you're assistant at Stockport. Uh, how's that going? Yeah, it's going well. Um, kind of been in the job, I think, just over 18 months. Um, so we, we managed to come out on non-league um, last season, winning the championship. Went very close to getting... Promotion uh, out of League Two last season. It was a, a penalty that we missed, which decided it, uh, which was heartbreaking, but at the same time, a massive achievement. Um, and now we're into another season where we, we feel like we've just got it going. We've just got going. A couple of good positive results. Uh, we've got Wrexham at home on, on Saturday, which will be a tough game. But um, yeah, yeah, hopefully we're motoring now um, as the season starts. Are you, with Rex at home, are you sort of going to make sure you get a nice haircut beforehand, wear a nice suit? Because you know you're going to be featured on the documentary. There's not much you can do with this, I'm afraid. There's not much you can do with this trim now. It's headed too many balls, too many grey hairs. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> now, obviously, you're working for Dave Kellner, who obviously you played with back in the day at Tramway, known for his long throws. Is training just long throwing every day? We could do with a long throwing expert now, to be honest with you. And to be fair, I think Wrexham have got one. Wrexham have got one as well, so um, it's funny that because we're actually talking about how we're going to defend it on Saturday. So, um, yeah, it was a great weapon. It was a great weapon that, um, obviously, it's my gaffer now, Dave. Uh, like I said to you before, he used to throw them and I used to head them in, so it was a good little combination. Um, but, yeah, now we've got to deal with one on Saturday, so, yeah, fingers crossed. You're the perfect duo, I'm sure, to, to cope with that. And there is another ex-Palace player at Stockport as well, isn't there? Yes, yeah, yeah, Matt Janssen. Yeah, Matt Janssen's in behind the scenes as well. Uh, kind of player liaison who, who helps the lads out on a daily basis. Um, don't need to speak to him as a player. What a player. Um, and, and a great guy as well. So another Crystal Palace uh, connection, yeah. Always good to have those Palace connections. Let's take you back. Before we talk about joining Palace, let's take you back to your early days at, at Tranmere. Obviously broke into a very successful team, uh, got to the Worthington Cup final. Mm. I think you were sent off in the final. Is that... That's remind me on that one, mate. <laughs> <laughs> What a great day that was. Oh, my God. Yeah, painful, painful memories for, for me personally, but a great achievement for the club. Great achievement. And that, you, go sorry, I was just you came through that, that Tramway team and kind of garnered a reputation as a, as a cup team. I remember, you know, some yeah. decent runs into the fifth, sixth round of the FA Cups as well. So, you know, it, it sustained yourself as a Division One club at the time, but also Ronnie Moore had you up for the cup as well. We were... Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of frustrating, really. We were such a good cup, um, cup team, but couldn't really translate that into the league at times. 
Um, and ultimately, I think it, it cost us um, our status in the division, I think, at one year. Um, so, yeah, listen, great great memories in terms of some of the, the, the games. We had the Southampton 4-3 comeback. You know, we, um, the, I think we played Sunderland, Middlesbrough, West Ham's. It was, it was fantastic. Um, but I think if you could maybe take that away and, and keep your, your status in the league, I think you'd definitely take that. But, yeah, great memories at the time. Is, is, what, is relegation what led you to Oldham? Uh, yes, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I stayed one more year, um, and I've run out of contract uh, at Tranmere, and there wasn't a contract coming. Um, and I think there's another Palace connection. Uh, <laughs> Ian Dowie, Ian Dowie was at Oldham at the time in his first job, um, and it was it was brilliant. It was brutal. It was hard work, but he got us playing. We had some really good players, and we were a good team. Uh, and I think we lost in the playoffs to QPR by a goal. Another connection, an old club connection. Yeah. And, and that was John Harbin with Ian Dowie at Oldham as well. Was he was wow. he the one that was putting you through your paces? Yes, yeah, yeah. Go hard or go home. One more round. Yeah, yeah. Big John, what a guy. Uh, didn't give you a minute's peace. Worked you to death. But you were fitter, you were stronger. Um, yeah, a, a, a great guy to have around the place. He really was. I think, didn't Palace have one more round on their, their T-shirts, Jack, when they got to the playoff final in 2004? Something like that. I think the West Ham fans had the same... Slogan, but for different reasons. I think yeah, they, had the, uh, they had the bar lined up already. But uh, yeah, yeah, every um, every morning, yeah, you're seeing them one more round. As soon as you step off the off the pitch, one more round. As soon as you finish your boxing, one more round. It was just it was in your head all the time. That's all you thought about. So when you got into a game and you felt a little bit of adversity or something wasn't quite going for you. One more round, get up, we go again. It's, it's just it's crazy how it sticks in your mind. So it? that actually that actually works. That's like psychological edge sometimes yeah. does work. Yeah, but those little key words or key phrases that are drummed into you every day can, can have a, a massive effect. I mean, at QPR, we had a five-minute one with uh, Steve Black, who's sadly with, they're not with us anymore. He used to break the game down into five-minute cycles. He said, just get through the next five minutes. Whatever's ahead of you, next five minutes, get after it. And instead of looking at a game in, well, it'd be 100, 100 minutes now, wouldn't it? But instead of looking at the game in 90 minutes, it's broke down into five-minute blocks and it seems a little bit more manageable. So, yeah, little, little psycholog- uh, psychological things can help. That's really interesting. I might try that for my Vets team. The only problem is I only get five minutes at the end of the game. So, <laughs> but, you know, That's they all like, count. I wish I could have used that for Sheffield Wednesday away because I always felt like the longest <laughs> game in the world. <laughs> We'll come to that. We'll definitely come to that because people will be desperate for us to talk about that. Just going back to, to Tranmere. So I remember a game, in, it would have been end of, speaking of cup runs, actually, it was the 2000-2001 season where Palace actually did get to the semi-finals of the League Cup against Liverpool. Um, we got won the first leg 2-1 and they got smashed 5-0 on the second leg. It was absolutely horrendous. Uh, I've never, Gary McAllister put on probably the best one-man performance I've ever seen in my life. But on en route to there, we played Tranmere at home and drew 0-0 and then won on penalties. And I believe you scored in that shootout. It was a horrendous penalty, by the way. Horrendous. Horrendous penalty. I think they all count, Clint. They all count. Oh, but they, they certainly do. I've, I've only had two and I've scored two, so that's all that matters. But this penalty wasn't great. It was it was down the middle, but it was very close to, to the keeper's foot. And it I questioned the pace of the ball as well, to be honest with you. But it got the job done, yeah. And, and then I think it was only a few weeks later. I think Tranmere came to sell us in the league, and it was one of the craziest games ever. I think Jason Kumas, who was a fantastic player, absolutely fantastic player, uh, opened the scoring. Then Steve Staunton, who was alone from Liverpool, I think, or Villa, I'm not sure, Italy, yeah. scored from 50, 50, 50 yards, 45 yards. Do you remember that goal? I, I do. He's a wonderful left foot, doesn't he? What a player he was. Um, 
great player for Liverpool and obviously went to Villa himself. But what a goal, man. What a goal. Seriously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's just sold the quality. Yeah, and even the, the the keeper didn't really do anything wrong. He he just sort of scuffed it a bit, and then he even gets back on his line, and Thornton still gets in. Absolutely crazy. And then Palace go two one down, managed to claw back with two goals in the last four minutes, I think, from Jamie Pollock, and then I think Clinton as well. But would that have been the first time you played at Sellers then? Uh, I guess um, I guess not including the cup game. I think yeah, it, it it probably would have done. It probably would have done. And then I think I think in Oldham. I think we played in a similar situation again, a cup game, but I broke my leg that time. Um, I think I was in, in the in the corner and I managed to I broke my leg somehow. I don't know how. Um, yeah, so I didn't have great memories of uh, of Sellers Park at that moment in time. To be honest with you. <laughs> well, Jack's done a bit of research about your time at Stoke actually, which I think ended in similar. If final final appearance for Oldham, final appearance for Stoke were both against Palace. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, both both times. You'll, you'll... I remember. So, I mean, yeah, you probably touched on it. Um, it was the Palace were at home, wasn't it? Stoke Stoke came to Palace. It was at a 3-1, I think, Stoke won. I think I was on the bench at the time. Right. I think you, well, you came on. It's down as your last appearance for Stoke yeah. was that game yeah. before the loan move. We'll come, on, we'll come on to how the loan move came around in a bit. Yeah. But, yeah, we, Palace do seem to kind of feature in your history even before you signed on the dotted line for Palace. They do, yeah, they do. So it's mad how it kind of, when you, when you sit back and, and look at things and kind of join the lines together, it's, it's weird how kind of fate Brings you to places, and, and, and another Palace connection because you left Oldham and went to Stoke to play for Tony Pulis. So the Palace, the Palace yeah. journey continues really. So how, your time at Stoke and obviously ended with you then coming on to the Palace. But you had three or four years at, at Stoke, didn't you? Yeah, I was. Um, it was, it was kind of my, my chance really to, to get back in the Championship. Um, really good club. Um, I, I broke my leg before I went to Stoke with Oldham at, at Palace. Uh, and never really kind of recovered from that. And it took me a year into my stoke career to, to kind of get over that injury. Um, and then my second year, I played every game. I felt really good, positive. And then going into the next season, I ended up doing my cruciate ligament. So I was out for another nine months. And I think that was the story of my career at Stoke. I just couldn't get on the pitch um, due to injuries. Um, and my time kind of just faded out, fizzled out and... I remember getting a phone call off, off Neil Warnock who, who said, listen, I'm at Palace, you've got to come here, you love it, just get a smile back on your face, get get you back playing, all the good things that he says to you, you know. Um, I wasn't sure about it, I really was, I've got to be honest, because I was a northern lad, we just had our first daughter, our first kid, um, and I was going, I'm going to leave, I'm going down to South London, this big mad city, I thought it could be Australia by all I know, you know what I mean, being a northerner. Um Probably the best decision I made, really, in terms of getting my love back for the game in the right environment with the right people. So it worked out well for me. I'm really, in, you know, football fans think they know how transfers work and, and things like that because we, we talk about them so much. But how does a loan deal come about from a player's perspective? Does the, does the club that you're at let you know that they're willing to let you go on a temporary basis? Or does the kind of signing club have to indicate that they only want you on a temporary basis because of whatever financial restriction there might be or anything like that? So I think that I think obviously that the, the club that would like you to make contact. Um, I, I remember getting we I think Stoke were away at Bristol City. Uh, I'm thinking maybe a week or two before it actually happened. I got a phone call of out the blue out of Neil Warner saying, "How are you?" It's Neil. I was like, "Wow, what's happening there?" Didn't didn't know what anything was happening. Went through the conversation. Would you be interested? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've watched you play for the reserves. It's someone that I think we could really do with. Um, I thought nothing of it, and then. Um, Obviously, the funny thing is, is that 
the Stoke, the Crystal Palace Stoke game, I was on the bench and I was running up and down the touchline and there was this fan in, in the stand and he was giving me all sorts, you can't even get on the team for Stoke. See, look, you're on the bench. How crap oh is And I'm going, oh, God, well, wait, I might actually play for your club in a few weeks, mate. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to think of that. <laughs> so little things like that. It just got into me. I went, oh, that guy ain't going to be happy when he sees me turning out <laughs> for your team and your shirt. Um, but yeah, once I spoke to Neil and got down there, it was yeah, it was it was a no brainer. No, but he's so infectious in terms of the way he, he, he makes you feel, and I needed it at that time. I needed that. And it was a it, it was a loan deal to begin with, wasn't it? You, you it came was, on a, a three month loan, I think, or something like that. Directly, Court went the other way. Ah, uh, it was Leon Court. Yeah, so right. I think I think Stoke probably wanted Court. I think they paid a million quid, um, and Palace thought, well, we, well, we need someone. To replace him, and I think I was thrown in uh, as part of that deal. Right. Um, so I think it kind of merged that he went that way, and I went that way. We, we knew someone had gone the other way, but we couldn't yeah. remember before the call as yeah. to who it was. So thank, thanks <laughs> for the trivia. But yeah we'll, yeah, we'll take that one. Um, <laughs> and and I guess that kind of leads on to the the, the next question I was going to have about you coming to Palace was that obviously we had to. Um, your position was as, as left back. That, mm. but you, you would have come probably as a centre half. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I played most of my career as a centre half. It's only when I went to um, to Stoke really that Tony said you're going to play left back. So, but at, at the time he liked a big back four. You know, yeah. like I think it was a, a back four of centre backs really. <laughs> we, we stay at home. We just deal with anything that's thrown in against us and just let the other lads go and attack. Um, and, that, and that's the way it kind of works out for us. Um, and then I, I kind of, yeah, I kind of pigeonholed myself into this left-back role, which did I really enjoy? Probably not. But you, you had to do a job. And if it, if it meant you're playing football and, and doing the job you loved, then you, you have to do that. Yeah. Can you imagine Tony Pulis coaching Joe Cancelo? It, it... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, roll inside and you'll be in the midfield. Jesus. No you were like, stay at left-back. Don't go anywhere. Don't even think about crossing the halfway line. Oh, you stay in. Big back four. You just... Head everything, kick everything away, give it to the good players. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I, I heard him on the radio not too long ago, and he, he was commentating on a Liverpool game, and he was waxing lyrical about Trent Alexander-Arnold playing as this kind of inverted fullback. And I was thinking he'd never have played a fullback like that. And, and Clint is the exact example of moving actually a centre half out to fullback to kind of add to the add to the defensive um, resilience. But oh, wow. yeah, it's um, it's and that that move came about, and then that was the two thousand seven eight season, wasn't it? Yeah. So when. Probably weren't in the best position um, table-wise at the time, um, but when you, when you got into the actual training round and the squad, I mean the squad was very good. Some big big players at the time there, and it just needed just needed reigniting. I think the gaffer done that, Neil done that superbly. You know I mean, he got the lads involved, he got everyone connected, and um, brought a couple in that he thought was, was needed at the time. But I think once we got kind of in, in, into the groove, we went on a crazy run. I think we were unbeaten in, in, a, in a huge amount of games um, and, and finally ended up in the, in the playoff spots, wasn't it, I think? Yeah, yeah. and mm. did you know anyone when you when you came to the club? Did you have any link to any of the existing playing staff? Um, no, I, I don't think I did. I don't think I did. I mean, Desert was there, wasn't he, when he, when he turned up? But, I mean, I'm, I was just looking around going, wow, I mean, like Kennedy's. I mean, Matty Lawrence was there at the time. Um, Fletch was there at the time. Ben Watson, you know I mean? Some... Good, good players, man. They should never have been in that position in, in the league table uh, when you looked at the squad. 
Um, and once once we all got finally together on the right path and connected from the gaffer, it, it just took off, and, and the squad just showed how good it was in the end. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I think Jack, that was just after Peter Taylor, wasn't it? I think we would we'd everything had sort of got a bit flat under Peter Taylor. I think. Yeah, Peter yeah. Taylor. Peter Taylor. I think Warnock had come in maybe end of September, beginning of October. So I think Clint would have joined. Yeah. Possibly his his first transfer window, Neil Warnock's first transfer window, um, yeah. the kind of winter 0708 time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, it was then, around that time. Yeah, he he turned around. That was a season going absolutely nowhere under Peter Taylor, with the greatest respect. So uh, Neil coming on, who I think only eighteen months before it got Sheffield United out of the division as, as runners up to, to that very prolific Reading side. So he knew that division probably better than any manager in in the league, and and it showed that that spell that. Clint talks about in the second half of the season was, was outstanding. And but for Lee Trundle, you know, <laughs> we'd be talking about a different Premier League spell. But um Clint, uh, what are your what are your memories of that kind of half of the season that you were in in the team for and culminating in that five 0 at home to Burnley on the last day of the season? It was all that it was all it was all like a massive kind of I, I did, didn't really sink in because obviously I just just come uh, north. I was living in a hotel for three months. I was kind of up and down the motor because my wife had just had her and my daughter Maya, so she couldn't really do the, the journey. So it was all it was all like a big man whirlwind, you know what I mean? Playing games, bang, getting in my car, up the motorway, see my kids, see my wife, bang, back down. It was just really, really mad. Um, really enjoyed my time though, because the dressing room was, was unbelievable. Really, really good dressing room. Funny, uh, good characters. And I suppose when you're winning and when you're picking results up, everything Everything seems a little bit better, doesn't it? Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed my first kind of uh, three, three to four months there. It was, it was fantastic. I actually enjoyed like London, which I never thought I would. You know what I mean? I enjoyed the madness of it and the bright lights and the traffic and just, just the vibe. I really enjoyed it. Like so, um, yeah, kind of made it my home. Yeah, I was Warnock quite a good manager. Then obviously, you know, players have families and a lot of you. Were essentially almost commuting. Was he quite good at giving that freedom then to make sure that you have that balance between life and work? He was. He was very good. Um, I can remember, I think, I think, I think an illness or something, I think, uh, on my side of the family. And he said, listen, uh, get up there. I don't want to see you till Thursday. Uh, go spend time with your family because they're important. Um, and he said, listen, just do a little bit of training. Get back here Thursday, prepare for Saturday. Um, and I, I ended up training with Tranmere, I think, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, on Wednesday, so I kept myself fit. But those little things to a player really, really mean a lot, and it just gives you that—I don't know—that little bit more togetherness. And you probably give a little bit more to a manager who gives you that little bit as well. To be honest with you, so really good man management from him. Wait, Jack, we've had we've had quite a number of the uh, certainly the Hillsborough team, quite a few ex, ex Palace players who have all played under Neil Warnock on the podcast, and we've heard so many stories i mean a lot of them that we couldn't actually broadcast we've yeah. heard i mean you know cutting darren ambrose's toenails all the all this kind of stuff that's the one that comes to mind isn't it the umbrella over darren while everyone else is getting yeah. that type of thing so it's just madness i mean i mean you'd never see uh, your manager cutting toenails and giving them a, a good polish and a scrub down would you know what i mean it's just not seen not seen or heard of but what a character what a character brilliant in, yeah, he, yeah season, he does seem like a real character. We entered that season really strongly, though. Um, you know, I think going into the April, we were I think, hovering just outside the playoff spots. But the, the the last five or six games really kind of got the group together. And I think there's only one, looking at the, the, the list of fixtures, one defeat in, in the last five um, away at Hull, who I think 
went up there. So they, so they were looking for the playoff spots as well, the Dean Windass side. And um, yeah, winning, you know, away at Stoke, Flint, one away at Stoke, one away at Watford. Um, and then that fight, I mean, the 5 0 last of the season, so many Palace fans put that in, in their top 10 yeah. favourite afternoons at Selhurst because it was just the perfect time. I think Clark Carlisle got sent off after about yeah. three minutes. Yeah. Um, and we're, <laughs> with the front front three of um, Clinton Morrison, uh, Victor Moses, and, and Scott Sinclair, who at that level were about as potent as it gets. And Clint, you, you were in that starting 11. And, you know, how was the feeling going into that game and then afterwards? Moving forward into the playoffs, yeah, it was almost kind of just to got to just finish this, this this season well. You know what I mean? And sometimes, it, sometimes in football, things just click, just click for, for for no reason other than it's just everyone's on it. Everyone's got um, the right way to pass. Everyone sees the picture early, or everything just flows and, and it's very fluid. And like you said, there you had those three strikers up top on, on their day; they, they could probably beat any team, you know what I mean? And I think it was a very good recruitment in terms of Scott Sinclair. Mm-hmm. He, he was a good player, very good player, and had a hell of a career. Um, but that day was, was special. Listen, it didn't help him. Big, big Carlisle got sent off. It probably helped us. But the way we went about our game and the way we, the goals we scored, we, we just set the tone for, right, season's done now. We go again into um, a very crucial period of, of the playoffs. When that idea of like teams clicking... And obviously, like it, it's absolute joy for like fans to watch. Now you're on the other side as a coach. Is that like the sort of magic dust that you're always trying to get, or is it just one of those things that's kind of out of your hands? Is it a recruitment issue? Is is that kind of the thing as a coaching team you're always searching for this like cohesion unit? Yeah, yeah you are. It's, it's very difficult. It's very because you've got basically got eleven individual players there. You you don't know what you try to understand and say, but some might be a little bit low in confidence, you know what I mean? Some others might have issues somewhere else and and to, to bring all that together and, and to gel and to get that kind of fluidity through the team where everyone's on the same page and everyone feels the same, it's hard. It's very hard. And there's probably only certain moments in the season where it really, really clicks. And it's all, like you said, it's probably down to confidence, a bit of belief. Um, and, and results help. You know, I mean, if you're winning games of football, then that certainly helps. Um, but you've got to find a way. You've got to find a way. No matter what kind of game, what kind of situation you're in, uh, some days you don't play well, sometimes you play for 10 minutes really well. Mm-hmm. You've just got to find a way to, to win football matches. And um, I think that's... Them, them teams, when I was at Palace, generally over the years, we, we did tend to find a way to, to, that- to get out of the game. And, it, and obviously, like, this is, this is 2008, and it's now 2023. Back in back then, was it fifteen years ago? Was that a case of like team socials, team bonding? Yeah. Is that less of a thing now with, with everyone being a bit yeah. more sort of hot up on sports science? Sadly, yeah, yeah, sadly it is. Um, I mean, when you when you kind of go through a bad run or a bad run of games, the first thing you do is right, come on, let's just go for a pint. You, you, if you say that now to players, there's a lot of them who probably go, I don't drink or. I mean, I've got other things outside of football, which I'm doing businesses or, or something else. Um, so it's very hard to get that that kind of togetherness through through those kind of um, scenarios. So you have to be creative and, and go through other ones where, I don't know, it might be a, a different kind of social in terms of you might go watch a different sport. You might get a go-karting, get a paintballing, get a darts, um, get a table tennis, you know what I mean? Everyone plays different things now, so... Trying to get creative around it, but yeah, it, it has changed. It has changed. Just the, the notional clicking of a team is—is is that, from a coach's perspective, 
in your from your perspective now, you must love it when a team clicks because obviously it's going to reap the rewards on the pitch. But is there a bit of a coach that probably resents the clicking, given all the technical advice you provided a team and, and individual players over a period of time, and it's that clicking, as you say, that kind of then gets everything moving. Or it has a, as a coach respondent and from a manager's perspective, obviously the overwhelming feeling is that's great, I'm delighted. But is there a sense of God, wish that had happened three weeks ago, or or oh, so know, a bit of frustration with it? I think the, the hardest thing for me kind of stepping into this role from, from a player is that you don't really have a lot of influence. You know what I mean? I mean I'm sure there's coaches out there who think they have loads of influence, but really, once those lads get over the line, they, they, it's, they're kind of there on their own and they've got to see things and, and, and see pictures and deal with things that you might have shown them during the week, but it's totally different in the game. So, so they've got to be able to kind of see things and take them in a split moment and go, right, that's not happening. I need to try and do it this way. And that, that's why you've got to find a way. You've got to find a way because sometimes the game's not perfect. Sometimes it's not black and white. Sometimes those patterns we worked on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday ain't there. So what are you going to do about it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, so the greatest thing that I can, I get probably um, appreciate a little bit more is when lads do well. So when they do really well and they play to the, their potential, and they execute things superbly, I think that's where I get my kind of reward from. Because as a player, I, if, if you played well and you got the result, that's where you got your satisfaction. Now, it's yes, the result matters, but it's still not the same. You know what I mean? It's still not, You haven't been in the fire. You haven't been in the battle. You haven't really got sweat, blood and tears all over you. You've just been sitting on a bench shouting orders. <laughs> So when you see lads really, really do well and execute the plan and they play really well to their potential, that's the satisfaction, I think, that you get yeah. as a coach. You're sort of living vicariously through them on the pitch because you can't be on there. Do, do you miss yeah. it? Of course. Hell of a lot. Hell of a lot. Uh, we had um, Lee Catamol in with us uh, yesterday just watching a bit of training at Stockport and it's the same things when you talk to players. <sighs> Nothing better, is there? And when you're actually in the game and, and you're playing... Um, you, you don't really appreciate it enough and I, I look back now and I think freaking hell, I should have enjoyed it more but because you cared that much about it and you were so passionate everything mattered and it was that moment you know what I mean it mattered so much and sometimes you didn't enjoy it because you didn't win or you didn't get what you wanted um, yeah I wish I did enjoy it more but um, yeah sadly that's, that's what it was really I enjoyed every moment in a certain way but <laughs> maybe could have enjoyed the little, little moments a, a bit better so how, where's your head at before a playoff fixture, which you know is, is relatively do or die in terms of your season is going to continue to to Wembley for the final, or it's going to end there and then? Um, where's your head at going into that playoff against Bristol City, having ended the season relatively relatively well? Um, did, did my mentality, or I don't, I don't think it ever changed. To be honest with you, um, I try to approach every game. That it mattered the most. Every game mattered the most to me because I, I tried to play it like it was my last game. Um, listen, that didn't mean I played well or, or sometimes I played bad, but the mentality and the attitude was always uh, to get at it, get at it and do your best and then try and drag your team through it and hopefully get a positive result no matter what the occasion. Obviously, with, with the kind of bigger and higher uh, games, there's more, a bit more pressure and there's more to it, if you know what I mean. Um but it didn't change my mentality or attitude just because of what the game was. But the pressure was probably a little bit more different um, because everybody wants to play at Wembley. Everybody wants a promotion. 
Um, and when you've got a fan base behind you as well, then it, it, it cares. You know, I mean, you care a little bit more as well. So, um, very unlucky, very unlucky. I've got to say, if, if the penalty went in, who knows? Who knows? I was, yeah. We were we were right behind that the the goal actually, but the, the penalty missed. I thought the keeper had saved it, but I think it hit the post in the end. I think didn't it? I think it did. Yeah, I think it did. Um, I mean, we, we, it's a bit of a rivalry there, wasn't there? I think mm. the, during the season with Bristol City, there was a few little clashes on and off the park, um, and it's just funny how we always we ended up together in that last game. Um, but I remember, I think it was the, the night before in, in the hotel. I don't know. You probably heard the story where Neil was brought in a kind of. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know what you want to call this fellow where he, he put loads of glass on the floor and he broke loads of glass up and he, he started walking barefooted over this glass in front of him. He had us all around in the nice circuit going, yeah, that's no pain. You know what I mean, it's all about mentality and attitude and focus. And he got off this glass and we going, wow, what the hell's happening here? Um, and then he started going through this process of, of visualisation in terms of penalties. He said, don't change your mind. Just, just get all, close your eyes, visualise, striking through the ball, hitting the back of that net. Um, and then yeah, and then I think that's the first bloody penalty I've ever seen Ben miss. Yeah, <laughs> was he was after all that kind of preparation and everything, and that's the first penalty I missed. Blessing, but he, um, he was playing some great football at that point. Oh, he was, great he was running games, and I think he'd scored the equaliser in the first leg. Yeah, um, I mean the thing with that, obviously, we we all go to Ashton Gate um, straight away to think about where it ended, but. That winner they scored, that guy's never going to score a better goal in his life. You know, 35 yards out, top corner. So they go away with the momentum. But even with that momentum, I think Palace fans were still quite confident, given Neil's um, tactical astuteness and the team that he'd built just in that short spell that he'd been at the club. I don't think any Palace fan thought it was was over. I thought they, we all felt it was a chance of of something come back. And then to take the lead, I think that penalty would have killed them. I think think we would have got over the line that night. And... um, Ended up with, yeah, just becoming the Lee Trundle show on on TV. I remember and just yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was, it was like when you when you try and break it down and when you step away from on you go hell of a hell of a season from where it, it begun to work to where it nearly got us um, a really great effort. And it, but you always think about those little moments in games where does that go in? Does that kill them? Does that kill their momentum? Um, did it align for them on the night with that strike? You know what I mean? Those little things where sometimes it goes against you, sometimes it goes for you. Um, but what, what a season we did have that that season in terms of turning it, turning it around. Hey, can, I, can I ask, just in view of being defeated by Bristol City, how loud did you cheer when Dean Winder scored the winner against him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got to say, yeah, probably did. Just because of the rivalry we had, and I don't even know where it came from. It was ridiculous, but... Um, yeah, it, it felt a little bit better. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> was it? Was it? I, I, I'm trying to recall whether it was that season or the season before. Um, the Freddie Sears ghost goal, JD. Whether yeah. it was 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 that part of a, it? A couple of years later, I think. Is it a couple of years yeah. like, okay. It, it just Palace and Bristol City. You're right, Clint. It did have this. Weird, were, were you at the club when that with the ghost goal? Yeah, yeah. I was. Yeah. Oh right, yeah. yeah. So it's the year after. Yeah. I still can't. I, I just don't know how. Again. The, the, the perfect header. It's about, I had a similar one with um, QPR at Bolton, where you've headed it's clearly gone over the line, 
and for, for the ball to hit the, the back pole, the back of the pole that keeps the net down, and then to ping back out at pace, you're going, how the hell has that happened? No, but how did they miss it? Like we're, we're all celebrating, they're all know it's a goal, and he still doesn't give it. it it's... And they won. I think they won the game. In fact, was that the August after that playoff? I think it no, was. I think it was a year later. I think that was the Hillsborough, Hillsborough season. I can double check. I'm just going back because that season in the um, we, we won't linger on the playoffs much. We'll, we'll go on to happier times in a minute. Um, that season where we lost in the playoffs, we'd actually drawn with them in the league at their place, and I went to that one as well. Lee Hills scored yeah. for us, the young left back with an absolute uh, belt of a volley, and they equalised in the 90th minute. Yeah, yeah, God, Lee Hills. Yeah, wow, wow. Yeah. Matt, yeah, just just. It's just, I don't know, the rivalry just intensified as, as, as the season went on and the, the games you played against each other. I remember there being a few rumbles after the game when, when some, a few of their lads came around the coach and maybe that ignited a few things as well. So, um, yeah, sadly, we just couldn't get it done. Yeah. You changed yeah. that season. Yeah, because the, the team was 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 so good and, and ended yeah. that season really, really positively. Did that confidence though transfer into the that second season, the 08-09 season, and obviously didn't perhaps go as well as we and yourself would have wanted it to. But mm. was that going into that season? Was there confidence that we've been in the playoffs, we can do it again? Yeah, you always think you've had a, a good, solid kind of middle and then finish to the season. Obviously, you had the disappointment with the playoffs, but you always come back in, in after your break, kind of enthusiastic, kind of recharged, ready to go again. And, and attack the season, and hopefully, minimum, you're in those playoffs. Um, but it's such a tough league, as you know, lads, it's such a tough league. It's it's so intense and so brutal. Um, any team can beat anyone. It's a mad, mad league. Yeah, it is. And actually, that in the 2009-2010 in the season, uh, I think things were clicking again, weren't they, before the administration call? Because I think we were knocking on the doors of the, the playoffs at that point. It had really come together, hadn't it? I thought we were around, I'm about eighth, about eighth. Yeah, seventh eighth. or eighth, when you flew to Newcastle. Yeah. I think seventh yeah. or eighth. And, we were right right in the mix, thinking, yeah. okay, going to a tough place at Newcastle, um, but if you if you manage to nick something there, then you're right in it, right in the mix. Um, but then, bloody hell, a whole different story when you landed and you switched your phone. <laughs> Before we get into the grim nature of, of administration, it'd be great to get your feelings on that from I mean any any player that's gone through that it's just sounds absolutely horrible but also you know kind of harnesses your desire to do everything you can on the pitch to, to kind of keep the club going and, and as everything we saw which culminated in Hillsborough but just one man who obviously went as a as a result of all of the financial issues at the time was Victor Moses and you would have played a lot with Victor at Palace and we sometimes miss talking about Victor a lot because then Wilfred Zaha came along and it kind of did everything that Wilfred did but from someone that played with with Victor Moses, you know, as much as you did, what what are your memories of of playing with with such a talent? Hell of a player, hell of a player for for someone so young. The talent the lad had was was frightening. Um, I mean, there was a quite a little kind of there was a few young lads in and around the team at that time. You know, like the Klein, he was there. I think I remember Hilsey, who, who you recommended there. Um, Victor coming in, Scannell, he was there. It was such a bright kind of productive line of youngsters in and around the squad. Um, but Victor was Victor was something special, man. You knew he was going to be a top player, who played at the top level. Uh, I think we played, if I remember correctly, we played Man City at home in a cup game. I think Mika, Michael Richards was right back. 
And I swear, I've never seen, and he's a big lad and he's strong, but Victor absolutely bodied him in one in one short moment. He put him on his backside and I've gone, wow, this kid's special. And then he'd do, I think he'd stand still and he'd flip this ball over his head when he, um, over the over the defender's head and he'd be away. Um, a magnificent talent, a great kid, very quiet, had a very tough upbringing in terms of what happened to him and his family. Um, so a huge respect for him for achieving and getting everything out of his career that he did. Very did special. you ever get that did you ever get that treatment in training, the flick over the head? I got everything off them boys, man. Jesus. Bloody hell. They, they were special. I, I couldn't cope with that. <laughs> but I just say, listen, lads, don't do it too many times. So I might just have to put you on your backside with a bad tackle. You used to stay away, but great, great kids, great lads, um, hugely talented and what a what a production line Palace had at the time there. So Victor's flying at that point and, and obviously is one of the sad things that happens when, when the administration comes that he goes quite quickly, almost in the dead of night, to be honest. And where's your head at as, as you know, a player, but also as just a person when, when the administration's confirmed? You know what? It's it, it's strange because you don't want to believe it. You know what I mean? Like you just think, OK, administration, probably naively thinking, don't really kind of know the, the real kind of, Issues with it, if you know what I mean. So being, being a player, I didn't really concern myself with that, those things. But as it started going along and, and the players started leaving for money that is ridiculous, it should be three, four, five times that really, that the players that left. Um, did I remember correctly, Fonte, Jose leave as well at that, that point? Yeah, Jose Font left for, um, I think, less than a million pounds, which given yeah, so again, his form was... was yeah. And I think he... He, he dropped a division, I think. I think he went to Southampton, who were in yeah. League One at the time. So, yeah. You know what I mean? So, I saw another really good player who, who left there for basically nothing. Listen, you you always say, listen, that's brilliant. I mean, go get your moves and, and, and good clubs and go crack on your careers. But you always got to think about, got to get the right money. You know what I mean? For, for, for those kind of talents. But when you see your best players leave, it's hard. Um, and then it's only really when I didn't really pay that much attention because we had Newcastle that night. And it didn't really affect you until you seen the table. Because I don't think the 10 points were deducted at that moment precisely where they think the table was still eighth. It's only when you looked, I think, the next day or whenever, and you see yourself minus 10 points, you go, don't know if I can swear. You go, shit. Okay, now now we're in a dogfight. You know what I mean? So you've gone from, we've got a good start to the season. We've got a chance to challenge to go, right, dust ourselves off. Get our, roll our sleeves up now, it's time to fight and get at it, you know. And then everything that else that was going on on a weekly and monthly basis um, was painful, yeah. It was painful to say, it really was. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it must be. There's so much in football that I guess is around like keeping the men, keeping players' mentalities level. You know, we hear about like one game at a time and all this kind of stuff. And, and so to have something like that is must just be a huge disruption. You know, I'm sure footballers like their sort of routine and like they know what to expect and they go into the next game and they do all your bits in the training ground, but you're, you're keeping a level. That just must be a huge disruption, not just like in terms of literally financially, we're losing half our players, etc., but like mentally as to where you are with everything. It must be very disruptive. It is because it, it, it's in your face. It's in your face every day, you know what I mean? Um, especially when you, when you lived around uh, areas with Palace fans, you know, go for a coffee, you want to talk about the administration, what's going on, because it's, it's as, as you would do as a fan. Um, and then you get into, into work and you'd be having a meeting with the PFA every two weeks about 
right, this is this is what's happening. These are the legal proceedings. You might only get 30% of your money this month. You might only get 40%. All those little things. And then, and this is the worst thing. is like good people in the football club are losing their jobs. Hmm. Right? So, so people that you are seeing on a daily basis um, for a number of years are not there no more. You know what I mean? And as hard it is, it is for us as players, it, it, you're protected to a certain degree. You might not get what you deserve, but you'll get you'll, you'll be okay. Um, but for the for the people who who kind of lived and died Crystal Palace and worked there for, but let's let's get it right, probably not a lot of money. Um, they weren't there no more. You know what I mean? And, and, and that and that was the hardest bit because you built connections with those people. Um, so that wasn't nice to see. That that wasn't nice to see for the lads. Does that, does that in a way, and I'm trying not to sound trite with this sort of question, but does that sort of like drive you on in a way? They're like, okay, not so much like do it for them because obviously, you know, they, they have, they have, as you say, difficult situations and stuff. But does that help form a sort of bond, I guess, for the remaining people at the club? I think it naturally does because you just think, right, okay, let's put the barriers up. Let's get together. Um, it's us against the world. Everyone's right and stuff. I don't think it's, I don't think it's been done before. I might be, I might be wrong. I don't know where a team's had. A big hit of points, and I managed to stay up. So that's another incentive. Um, and we had a good group of men as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, it might have been different if we didn't have a real strong core of characters and leaders in their own right. Um, not just good players, but good, good men. Um, and I think that obviously probably got us over the line. I think it says so much about that group, JB, in terms of the fact they were seventh in the table. So they had the technical skills and ability to be contenders in that division and then overnight they were able to then identify another skill set which they obviously were deploying in a different way but you know the the joe royal used to call the dogs of war at everton like the dave watson's that that type of vibe and i think i just i would just wonder whether there was kind of inspiration from you know within the group kind of would you rotate in terms of right is this is your week to drive or, or was it a core group of yourself, Sean Derry, or did you kind of feel the responsibility to rotate that responsibility because of how draining that would be on each other? I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was it was it was laid down to one person. I mean um obviously Desel Desel was your skipper but you had some big characters in that team. Yeah. Butts, you had Paddy McCarthy, um obviously Julian was there, you had Johnny Hurtle, you know what I mean, another another crazy cat, uh, big Helen Lee, um Calvin Andrew was there, big Claude Davis. I mean there was big big characters there. Matty was there at the time as well. So, with vast experience in, in different um, situations of the careers, you know, some have faced promotions, some have faced relegations, and yeah, I, I just think, listen, was there a big rallying call and said, "Well, lads, come on, let's get together, we've got to do this." It just happened naturally. Wasn't when, when, when you're in when you're in a, a dogfight, I think it was just natural for those players to hey, look look either side and go, "I'll be all right. I've got your back. I've got your back. You've got mine." Let's, let's go do what we do. And it helps when you've got a, a Darren Ambrose or something like that who can do a little bit of quality and a little bit of flair here to get you the goals. Helps you massively. Um, so a great a great squad to be involved with. And, and you're dealing with all that and then a change of manager as well mm-hmm. in the midst of it. And where, where's your, I mean, obviously you, you talked about how, how Neil Warnock was fundamental in you coming to the club. So to see him departing in, in the way that it kind of came about and, and seeing him leave for a division rival, also obviously difficult, but I guess didn't change the the aim of the season. You guys still had your job to do, um, and and if you like go into a bit of detail about how you found Paul Hart's time as manager yeah. as well. But, um, 
trying to think of when when Neil kind of left. It was it was it was hard because that, that's why. As, as much as you, you when you play for the club, you get that connection, but ultimately you, you kind of go there for the, for the manager in the, in the first uh, instance, and it was a big part of why I went down there and kind of gave me that love and enjoyment for the game um, back, which I lost. Um, so to see him kind of leave. Um, it was hard to take, I and mean, you, you kind of think, "Am right, okay, what, what, what's next? We've had this, we've had this, we've had another uppercut. Someone's nearly put us on the deck here with, with the gaffer leaving. Um, so, how are we going to respond to this one?" Um, and I think, I think the best thing probably uh, Paul did, along with uh, Pemberton and Dougie, I think at the time, was it was he just left us pretty much. Not not left us to it, but they left. It didn't need to change much. It didn't need. They didn't go anything right. Let's change shape, or feel like they had to do something drastic uh, to, to 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 turn the team around. They, they looked at the squad. They looked at the players. They listened to the players and thought, okay, we're just going to be here to support you, whatever you need. Um, and I think that's very good coaching because sometimes you you can get too involved and mess yeah. things up. Where if you just step back and take a moment, sometimes that's the best thing to do as well. So yeah, yeah, good, really good management from him. Um, Great guy, great guy. Um, I've seen him a couple of times over the years, you know, and a real, a real emotional person as well. Um, really loves the game, um, and I've got, I've got a lot of time from him. I really have, really have. He done wonders there. Really good. Yeah, one of the shortest spells as Palace manager, but I think uh, much, much loved and respected for what he did. Did did a chance for you to leave come at, at that point during the season? No, 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 no. Wasn't good enough. <laughs> Nobody wanted me. <laughs> no, um, no, nothing, nothing came from that. Um, yeah, they only wanted the good players. So, um. <laughs> well, we're delighted you stayed because we needed you. We needed you there. That, that you're right. That team had so many, so many characters, and we've been lucky enough to have a lot of them on, on the podcast. And I think sometimes in football, like it's. Uh, Again, I know that football had to plan for stuff, but sometimes I think a lot of it's chance and luck. And to have that group of characters all there at the same time when the club needed them at absolutely most, more than any time in their history, it's kind of luck, really, that just they were all there at the same time. Because if, they had, if a few were missing or, you know, maybe, I don't know, things have differently, the, the club could not only be in a different situation, it could not be here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that, was a, that was a frightening thing, really, is... I mean, even when even when it was all over and and, and you thought, yeah, you survived, we're up, we're fine. Even then, you weren't too sure, were you? It was like, oh my god, it was like you've gone through all this. Everyone's gone through this, fans and everything, and it's still not bloody sorted. So it was like, and then uh, the fans to do what they did in terms of turning people's heads, and that was magnificent. But um, yeah, just just the way everyone got together because it's, it's very easy, especially in, in modern probably society now, to go the other way and go start blaming people, start getting each other's backs. It, it was totally different. It's just kind of right. what do we need to do? What can I do to make the person next to me better to get through this madness? Let's just do that and, and focus on that game by game. And I think that's the way the whole club went and, and, and it got the job done, which was magnificent to see. And to see where they are now, great. I mean, great. We'll, we'll come on to Hillsborough uh, in just a moment, but were there any other games in that run in the, that you have a great fondness for was there any particular result that you were like yeah this is this means it means a lot i'm trying to think back to the i mean even i was looking at the fixtures when we actually got the into administration we went on and won a couple of games i think 
right after that, the, the, I think the Newcastle, we lost 2 but then we went, Peter and someone else, we went on a, a decent little run, yeah. two, two or three games, I thought, freaking hell, some character to that, because you could easily look at it and go, oh, well, lads, we're sinking here, and everyone just down tools, and I think that was just a little, a little kind of, hey, we're still here, we're still a good team, we've lost a few players, but we're still in the fight, um, but then I think it was a defeat, a draw, but I don't think we ever went Seven, seven, eight games. I think there's always points here, win here, point, win, win, point, loss, loss. You know what I mean? So it's still pretty consistent running. Um, I just go to, to the Wednesday game. It's, I don't know. Probably just gets that because everything else was a blur. Um, I think that I think that that final game is 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 what mattered. That was the game that mattered the most. I think the way the Wednesday game ended, I think some people do forget the Monday night before that, the West Brom. Uh, the one-one mm. on the Monday yeah. night, where if we had won that, would we'd have been safe? I've kind it would of have been all right, we? We yeah, I think it, would, or it would have would have required Wednesday to get a massive goal difference yeah. turn or something like that. And Neil Dan's got sent off. Not oh, only you know we went into that game without you know someone who uh, for a lot of Palace fans were considered the talisman that season. Him and him and Darren Ambrose were you know the go-to for further up the pitch. But I always think that night, and again, that was another. Disappointment that the team and the group still bounce back from to. Were we one up at that time? Yeah, I think so. Weren't we? And they, they were going for automatic, weren't they? I, or... I, and I think they may have ended up going up. Actually, yeah, that's yeah. I remember. Um, yeah, yeah. Just that, yeah. And then we got. Yeah, I remember that the one on God. Yeah, that would have changed things slightly. Sorry, but... sorry to take you to a dark place there, Clint. Didn't mean no, to. no, it's fine. No, seriously, all <laughs> ended up well. So, <laughs> um, but. So, should yeah. we uh, should we do Hillsborough JD? Should we? I just think I just think of how good Clint's memory is. Like I just think when you played so long in football and you've played you know so many games and stuff, and you're going on about well, we had a uh, uh, this a, draw, a win against Peterborough and blah 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 blah, and then and I'm looking at the fixtures, being like, yeah, he's got that right, he's got that right, he's got that right. Like I just I don't know. I guess, I guess I've never been involved in the day to day of football, but I guess when it's so intense and you're living it, I, I guess you would remember it all. But I'm just I'm just a bit sort of I don't know impressed. There's certain things that you do remember, but like the dandy one, I can't, I would never remember that. You know what I mean? That, that, that little detail, that probably is quite important, really. But I didn't remember that, but I remember the, the little score lines here and there. Um, so there is the, you do try and remember quite a lot, but it probably gets mixed up a little bit in terms of the data. De- dealing with all that, and also a fairly prominent FA Cup run. I mean, I know it ended, you know, relatively early in the fifth round, but, you know, Villa yeah. at home. Villa yeah. at home was a, a big day, but the Wolves... Patrick and you know, I'm yeah. always happy to talk about Danny Butterfield scoring wow. a hat trick. Wowzers, that, that was what a, what a piece of genius that was from the gaffer. Eh? Well, I think anyone's seen that happening, did they? Wasn't, <laughs> it, wasn't, it, wasn't it Sharon's idea anyway? Probably so. dream, yeah. <laughs> Sharon had another dream and it came off. <laughs> Jesus, man, brilliant, isn't it? Absolutely brilliant. I, I, just don't, know, I don't know how he thinks it up, but it's the perfect hat trick. I know, perfect hat trick. As well, I mean, to, to write that off, it's just, I and mean, he won't live it down. That. I've actually seen, but um, we played Lincoln, we were in Spain in pre season, um, and we had a chat. And it was actually Mark Kennedy's manager as well, isn't he? And we had a good chat and a good laugh. And we talked about the actually because he never lets it go. Um, but just then, like, you don't see each other for years, but you've always got that bond. So when you, when you go through stuff in, in your career and, and good times and bad times, you probably don't see people for five, six years, but you'll see each other in a bar and it'll just bang, it'll click straight away because you've looked each other in the eye and go, remember that time? You know I mean? so, look, 
a good team a good team will click on the pitch and then click off the pitch oh, 10 years later as well so yeah better off it with a few beers yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was that that i'd imagine you play with a lot of players in your career and some come and go but that team in particular i think you know you bond through adversity so i'd imagine you, you guys in that team will be mates for life yeah so, sometimes people um did they go what was the best club that you that you, um, you played at and it, sometimes it won't it'll be the dressing room it'll be the dressing room that 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 you remember the most you know what i mean um because if you've got a really good dressing room and, and a real strong kind of um, camaraderie then it makes it you enjoy it more and you, you connect more and um, and that was a special dressing room, that real special dressing room, that cared, you know what I mean, cared for everyone that was involved at that at that club at that moment in time. Yeah, you got that vibe. My favourite thing about the Butterfield hat trick, and I, we did, I did tell him this to his face, by the way, after when we had him on the live podcast, uh, was that uh, a week later we played Scunthorpe away, and Sharon's obviously had another dream because he's up front again and right in uh, the front three gets taken off after sixty minutes. That wasn't quite the same. <laughs> all remembers that, do they? Can you remember the hat tricks? <laughs> well, we actually won that. Neil Dan's got a last minute winner, so we did. We still won. Shall we come on to, to come on to Hillsborough, obviously, because it, it's it's a huge game, and uh, I think aren't there some funny stories around it with like the 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 tra- issues on yeah, the train up or something, and just sitting on the floor of the train, and again, yeah. it's like this everything that could go wrong that season went wrong. Yeah, everything. I'm going on the train, thinking brilliant, two hours, be fine, great trip. Um, you, you get on there, it's, everything's double booked, so there's people sitting in your seat. There's no seats available, so. We're not going to wait for the next train because that's full. So you have to sit on the floor. So people are sitting on on bags or um, like little kind of luggage trolleys or, or whatever, and just to try and find a bit of room. Um, and I think there's a few, I think there's a few fans going up there for, for the weekend, and they were looking at us going, "What the hell? You know what I mean? What are you doing on the floor? We're in our seats." And I think a few of them, I think a few of them actually did offer a few of the lads the seats, but just another little thing thrown. Thrown in, thrown against you, you know what I mean? Um, but again, you've used it in a positive thinking. Well, yeah, look at us here, lads. All right, Sunday league team here, aren't we? <laughs> Rocking up to the biggest game in our careers, probably. Oh, God. But um, yeah, good memories, like good memories. Who did and you it, room with, Clint? Who was, who was your roomie for away games? I think, was, I think Deza I spent a lot of time with, with Deza towards the end. I think we, we chopped and changed quite a lot. Um, I think it was. I think it was Desert, I think, at the time. I'm thinking I might be wrong here. Um, but it might have been him. I think it was, yeah. But yeah, the train journey up, well, when you just think, bloody hell, that's gone is the biggest game of our, our season here. We're all sat around here. We just need a, a little campfire and some music and we're frigging the <laughs> right bunch here, aren't we? A right bunch. Uh and it is um in terms of like preparing for the game and you get up there and, and stuff and um Go for your morning walks and whatever, and then and then you go into the the ground. Is Paul Hart using all these kind of things in his team talk? Like, you know, look what's against you. Look what you've come through. Even the train was a mess. Is that or, or was he was he more sort of subdued in his team talk? Quiet. What what, what was the mood like before kickoff? I think you've got to be you've got to be very careful in terms of because you know what's at stake. Um, he's been with us a good few months. He knows what kind of carries as well. We're freaking lunatics. We put this bloody crazy music on, we jump around. Um, do we need do we need motivating? No, probably not. 
we, we don't need motivation. So I think it was it was just a nice general lads, you got this, you know what I mean? You've been together all season. You can do this. It's just a general kind of calming chat rather than a big kind of Winston Churchill one to take you over the edge. We didn't need that. Um, bang the music on, all get sweaty, open the door, let's go get at it. <laughs> uh, and what are your key memories from, from the game as it goes on? Obviously the goals kind of chapter the game as they go, but any key moments that, that really stick out to you as, as just somebody stood on a football pitch in Sheffield at what is just a crazy atmosphere and the, the fact those two teams were due to play each other the last day of the season. Yeah. Crazy. It was, I, I hated it. I've got to be honest. I hated it. I hated the game. I didn't have any enjoyment from it until the end because there was just so much on it. So much. When the, the journey that we went on to get this close and for it all to be on this game, um, it, it, didn't, it didn't affect me, but I, I didn't enjoy the game. So it was like, don't no mistakes. Can't make a mistake here. Got to do this right. And it was just full on concentration. I was knackered by the end of the game. Absolutely knackered. Um, because you, the pressure and the, the intensity of the game, the concentration on the game was just too much for me to, I wouldn't say enjoy it, but to have any other feeling about it until the end, the whistle was done. And then just relief. That, that, that's all you can say. Relief. The, the pressure is just instantly gone gone from you um, and just elation and I think the biggest thing was relief you got the job done what a group of men we've done this incredible kind of task we've done it together we got it to this kind of arena on this final day against this kind of team and, and we came through it and yeah I was absolutely knackered, <laughs> I, I, knackered. I, I just I remember um, Mike Dean obviously being the referee that day and yeah. Mike Dean was also the referee on perhaps the most other high-profile last day of the season of your career at the Etihad. Mm. Um, Aguero Scott, he was the referee that day as well. So the yeah. fact he played on an extra 30 seconds in that game is the, probably the 30 seconds he didn't add on at Hillsborough for the corner that they, they should have probably had. But he, got me back. he got me back one way or another. He got you back somehow. But that that yeah. when the ball went out for the corner, I guess you're preparing for the yeah. Alamo in the sense of, oh my God, everything's coming now. But yeah. what was that feeling just, just relief or what, was it was it more than that when, when the whistle did go? It's. I, I don't. I, I don't think you can ex explain it because the the, the pressures and the, the kind of pressure you put on yourself and other people around you, your family who've been through kind of chaos, people that you know around the club, chaos that the fans, everything, and you've just gone through this this game where the, the pressure is really really high, and you know any kind of mistake or error could be it. Could be it because you don't know where the club is going, going to be. It, it's just a different level of intensity and pressure I've, I've ever experienced. So when the whistle went, just a big immense like feeling of proud, you know, your proudness and um, absolutely brilliant. Like you, you mean the players next year got through it. That little kind of band of brothers that you've got, you've got through it, lads. You've, big kind of achievement that you've done. Listen, not achievement in terms of winning a trophy, but getting over a big hurdle in your Every, career. Everyone listening to this podcast will know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. And, and you know, can I, I hope you don't mind me asking, but did you know deep down that was probably your last batch for Palace as well? Uh, in the back of my head, yeah, probably did. Probably did, yeah. Um, didn't know where we were going. Obviously, there, there was no no ownership at the time. Um, Dougie had a quick chat with me, I think, in the, the Players' Awards uh, a couple of nights after that, that game. Um, but again, he said, I can't make you any promises. I can't make you... I've got nothing to... 
to, to, to give you or offer you at the minute. I'd like you to stay, but I haven't got anything to offer you. Um, and then obviously Neil um, came in shortly after that uh, and said, listen, I'd love you to come and, and work for me again. And, um, yeah, it, it was a tough one to leave because it would have been nice to have a chat and, and just to see where the club was, was going in terms of that stuff. But unfortunately, um, it, it, just, it just didn't happen. But felt proud in terms of we've left the club in, in, a, in a, a good a good spot in terms of going and getting a, get, getting after it again. I, I can imagine. The only reason why I ask is just that kind of description you just gave of the game of not enjoying it at the moment. I just wonder whether that emotional kind of connection to the club you knew was also going to be going. Not only was the season coming to an end with the hope that you're going to keep us as a you know second tier club, but the fact that that was a significant period of your life was was coming to an end as well. Yeah, it was. It was. I, I once I kind of knew it was my end because I just knew there was no there's no kind of direction or usually towards the end of the season you you kind of know. If, if you're going to be staying or, or going at any club, you generally have conversations before the end of the season uh, to say yes or no. Um, and there was just no nothing in the background at all for, for them to offer me anything. So um, and I think I think Deza wasn't Deza was probably just after me as well in terms of leaving as well. So um, would have been nice to sit down and, and speak to people face to face and see if that would be the case if anything did come from it. Um, but just delighted that. We kind of got over that hurdle and give the chance the club to kind of move on away from the old kind of palace in terms of what it is now and the machine it is now, which is great to see. And is that the reason why you decided to punch half of Sheffield? <laughs> that was a terrible mistake on my part. <laughs> Again, just pure elation, relief, just kind of hovered towards the away, away end. You know what I mean? Just because you want to show and share, you want to share your joy with other people who've been through it. Um, and sadly, I thought everyone would be there. But no, <laughs> they weren't. So I kind of, um, I don't, I don't, I don't I nearly got naked, I think, at one point. Um, boots and everything in just to show my appreciation. Turn around, big cord in the police. Um, the steward comes next to me and goes, you've got to go back that way. And I've gone, how can we go back that way? Can, I, can we just stay here and just enjoy it here? And he goes, no, 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 we, we need to go through that. I thought, I thought at the time, I thought the police might help me. Freaking hell, no chance. It's just gone, just go on, mate. You can go through there, get through that. And then it was just like, bloody hell, mate. It was, it was carnage. It's like a WWE match, wasn't it? Like a Royal Rumble. People spitting, kicking, swinging, um, all sorts going on. Also, I think the steward probably copped a little bit more than I did, to be fair to him. Fair play to him. And then, um, Cavalry arrived and I think Nick Carl came through and Big Claude Davis was there. It's actually a very funny thing on YouTube. I don't know if you've seen it. There's like a, I'll have to send it to you. It's like a, someone's made this kind of caricature kind of clip of what happened. It must have took them forever. And there's these little kind of plasticine models. Oh, little, the Palace Minute. The Palace Minute. That's the one, yeah. Oh my God, genius. I wish it looked like that and felt like that at the time, but it didn't. It looked Nothing like that, but what a, what a piece of work that is! I laugh at that every now and then. It's great. I know the guy that makes those, and he'll be delighted. He'll be oh, absolutely please. delighted. You like it? Yeah, please, please tell him that was absolutely brilliant. I, I watched it the other day again. Showed my kids, and they go, "What the hell is this?" And I go, "Hey, that, that's what happens, you know." That, that's your dad. <laughs> it happened just like that. <laughs> I, tell, I tell you what, though, in a situation like that, do you not want to see anyone other than 
you know, Claude Davis at the yeah. end to guide you home. What a man to be there for you. It was nice to see the big man, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so you got to the away end and, and you turned around and there was, there was no one else, was there? That You were a no. man alone. No, I was on my own, which was weird. Weird, because I, I literally thought it was just like, whistle gone, I've made my way up there. So a couple of minutes, surely everyone's there. Surely. Um, they're, all in the frigging, they're all in the um, in the change room having a beer and celebrating and dancing, weren't they? Um, so, yeah, madness, madness. Just to, And then I've had, um, I had the police interview me like about a week or two later after that, come to my house saying, do, do you want to prosecute people? I'm going, I can't. I don't even know who's swinging at me. I don't know who these people are. Um, but apparently, it, it, there was, it wasn't just Sheffield Wednesday fans there. There was, it was a merge of like loads of different teams. Thugs were there for that game. And they, they all kind of got together and just caused chaos, apparently, from, from what this police guy was telling me. Um, so madness. I'm just glad I came out of it unscathed, really. The, the legend is greater than we ever thought it was. <laughs> yeah. Wish. I wish, man. Yeah, I couldn't believe it when he told me. I was like, wow, why would they go to like a different game to, to what you just wanted to cause trouble? Have you really? ever walked to an away end since that day? Or do you go straight down the tunnel now just to kind of... I'm very wary of it now. Like, <laughs> I'm very wary of it now. Now I'm older and greyer. I don't think I can do it now. But um, well, it seems unbelievable. Like, when you got in the dressing room, wow. I mean, I think there's a few things on YouTube, isn't there, with the lads? Um, just great. And I'm, I'm, I'm gutted that... I'm gutted that I didn't... I didn't travel back with the lads because um, I went back home because uh, I was up north. I've got to, one thing that probably just eats at me a little bit. I didn't go home with the lads. I didn't go back with them. I should have done just for, for a couple more days. Um, but I just felt I was so tired and something just I needed to get home. My head was absolutely pickled. I thought I've just got to get home and just switch. Battered and bruised. Yeah, yeah, just switch off. But that, that's one. That is one regret I, I, I do have. I should have gone back on that coach with the boys and, and finished it off properly. Um, but yeah, brilliant, brilliant time. Really enjoyed my time at Palace. Great club. Uh, really good to see where they are now. And obviously, I think Paddy's, Paddy's involved in the first team. Dezel's involved in the first team. So Wolves now. So really good to see that connection there as well. You still talk to Paddy? Um, very rarely. Every now and then. Every now and then. He was in charge of the of the kids before, and there was a few lads in there that um, we were looking to take on loan. <clears throat> so. I, text him about them um, keep in touch with Desert quite a lot um, speak to him quite a lot and obviously butts every now and then um, but that bond will never will never be broken you know uh, like you said might be 10 years down the line where you see someone in a pub and you'll just go bang you'll just hit it off like it was um, and that, that's the special thing about football is that those relationships that you build will, will last forever it's, it's my favourite Palace team um, and I've been watching Palace since 92 gonna really age myself there um it's my favorite team and and we we're lucky enough to have quite a few of that team on the podcast and i could talk to every single one of them about that era and that game mm. forever because it just it just brings back a, a real mix of emotions because it was obviously very ang- anxiety inducing for us as, as fans and yeah. like you not knowing what's going to happen next whether there'll be a club but I think pride is the is is the overriding emotion. We're just so proud of that team and those players. You could tell that they cared as much as we did, and that doesn't happen very often when you're a fan. I was and just it's... going to ask you a question there because obviously it's, it's difficult for us players. I mean, it's it's all right for us to to, to talk about it in terms of like we care, but did, it's always nice to say, "Did you see it? I did. Did you see it in the games?" Because obviously we'd like to think that we do, but if it's reciprocated by the fans, that that's even better. Like so, to hear that is. 
just makes you even prouder, you know what I mean? Because we did care about it. So, no, that's, that's good to see. Every goal was celebrated that bit more. Every clean sheet was saved that bit, uh, celebrated that bit more. Yeah. Every big jewel saved was celebrated that bit more. Yeah. I remember we beat, one of the games that go, I go back to is Leicester home on a Saturday, I think in April, we beat them 1-0. And Alan Lee scored the goal. It's a terrible game. It was <laughs> awful, Clint. Sorry, but it was it was no, one for the purists. But the the final whistle, you know, and, and the Preston game on the bank holiday Monday, like Kevin Andrew took the bar off with the with the volley. Like it, it was just every win just felt that much more. And I, I think that that team just for staying up that season would go down in legend. But I think the fact that what you guys achieved then led the club to be mm-hmm. able to be in a position that within three years they were promoted to the Premier League and now we're enjoying our longest spell of Premier League football, top flight football in our, in our history, just means that legend grows with every passing season. So you, you, next time you're in SC25, Clint, don't expect to pay for a drink, mate, is all I would say. <laughs> I need to go. I haven't been back for a while. It would be nice to go and actually see a few games, actually. Would be. Well, you'll always be welcome. Anytime you're down there, let us know. We will uh, We'll take care of you at Sellers Park. Um, I was going to ask you about leaving Palace, but to be honest, that that, that doesn't. We've, we've ended on such a lovely moment. I don't know who, if you want to go there. I guess it was just one of those things. Lot, lots of players left. I think Palace fans knew there was going to be turnover, and 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 obviously there was the the new ownership had jobs to do and stuff. But um, I guess it was probably just maybe the right time. And then obviously being reunited with Neil at QPR yeah. and what you yeah, achieved then with him as well. Yeah, it was it was hard. It's always hard to turn Neil down. It is <laughs> when he gets when he gets you on the phone and when he gets you face to face. It's um. Yeah, it's very hard to turn turn down. So um, I think him being the manager and obviously with the, the state of play in terms of ownership at Palace, then I was always kind of heavily going to go towards Neil, I think, at that time, unfortunately. But um, very, very proud of what we did at Palace. You know, great, great time there. Never thought I'd enjoy London so much. So thank you for giving me that because um, I really did enjoy it. And I ended up staying down there for, God, nearly eight years. So tipping my hat to Palace for that. <laughs> Honorary London party boy, Clint. Love that. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, and I, I'd forgotten that you were in the um, the Aguero game as well. I mean, this is obviously a Palace podcast, not a QPR podcast, but I'd, God, I'd love to talk about that. Well, I mean, the you know you're there for the biggest yeah. moment in Premier League history, and, and weird emotions because QPR lost but still stayed up. Yeah, so, so that was another kind of final day thing, wasn't it? You know what I mean? So, but that that game was, and I can't remember getting outside my. Box penalty box. The I fact you boys scored. The fact you boys scored two goals that day is yeah. is beyond amazing. To be it's honest, beyond it's beyond anyone. I don't even think we we thought at the time. But how the hell have we ended up like this? We were camped in. They had so many good players. Um, God, Tevez, Aguero, Balotelli coming on, Jeco coming on, Silva, Torre. Oh my God! So just an, an outstanding team, and they just had us camped in in this. In our area, and we were just defending for our lives. Managed to get a good couple of counter attacks and, and finish them off really well. Um, and then just the way that you don't realise it—you don't realise it in the game what it probably actually looked and felt like. It's only when you watch it back, and the way Sky dressed it all up and, and made it kind of like a Hollywood kind of—you know what I mean? Superstar film. And Tyler's commentary over the top of it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like Man United, the way it's panning into Man United, think they won it. Then this happened, that happened, then. Then you think, wow, I was involved in some game there. But um, just glad it worked out for both of us because it could have been a different scenario on the pitch again for me. 
exactly. A bit further away in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, what, what I love, the idea is everyone around you losing their head at, you know, what is, JD said, probably the most iconic Premier League moment of all time. And, and you're probably reassuring yourself that this is no Hillsborough. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> call, this, call, call this tense. Call this tense. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> oh, not again. Not again. Um, but when he scored, I'm banging me. I'm banging my fist on the fourth thing. We've messed it up. My God, we're down. We've done here. Um, but. I think apparently a few of the lads knew before two minutes before that goal went in that we were safe. Um, so the front five or front four, or front one probably, the way we were playing, um, knew that we were safe. But all the other lads were Tevez, Silva. We were too interested in these guys. We didn't even know we were safe. So we were gutted when that goal went in. And then literally, I think Sean Wright Phillips came on. I said, What's wrong with you? I said, well, We stayed up, we're, we're safe. I'm going, Oh my God. <sighs> Thank God for that. <laughs> Emotions of football, eh? Oh, Amazing. absolute roller coaster. Clint, it's been such a joy having you on. Thank you so much. It's just thank been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for everything that you've done for Palace. Oh, God, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for supporting me and, um, and making the family feel really welcome. I had a great time. Really appreciate, appreciate it. And um, really good to see where you are now. There you go, that's Clint Hill on the FYP podcast. A reminder again, we're sponsored by Eternity Home Finance for this series. Email info at Eternity Home Finance for a free consultation and quote the code FYP. Jack, what a guy. I knew he'd, I knew he'd be good, but what a guy. Yeah, re- really fun to talk to Clint. Um, and that spell, obviously culminating in Hillsborough, but that, you know, only at the club for three years, but a lot happened in that three years. Um, you think his first season was that 07, 08? season that um you know nearly culminated in another playoff final if not promotion um and he was part of that team so really nice to talk about and reminisce about Scott Sinclair and Victor Moses bursting onto the onto the scene I think when we spoke to Johnny Ertel uh, in a previous episode as part of this series obviously Johnny's focus was from when he joined which I think was the summer of 08 so he missed that that season that led to the playoffs um and the eventual defeat of Bristol City. So really nice, to talk, although you know, not nice to talk about it in the sense that it was a, a negative outcome for us, but nice to talk about that period and uh, particularly nice to reflect on that 5-0 at home to Burnley, which I think the Palace fans still um, hold very close to their heart in terms of their favourite Palace memory. So, yeah, really lovely to speak to Clint. Real um, insight from a, a proper pro, I think you call Clint Hill. Definitely. It's, it's nice as well when he was saying about, you know, what, what made you come to Palace or... And he was sort of saying, well, I'd sort of already decided I wanted to come here because I played, I'd played, i played at Sellers before and enjoyed the atmosphere. Mm. And there's a lot of honesty. Also, just being like, yeah, we we hate playing against Bristol City. Like, as much as the fans hate going to the game. It's nice when you get those kind of, like, human responses. Not, on, I guess it helps when footballers have left the club or retired. They can speak a bit more openly. And rather than giving, like, the media-trained answer, they're like, oh, yeah, I hated playing against them. Or, you know, it's just yeah. nice hearing those kind of things. It makes you realise... These are people as well, and I just yeah, I really enjoyed that. And when he went into detail about Bristol City like that, it, it did make me think about all of us who have played at any level, whether that was junior, played into a kind of adult, um, you know, the Sunday league, Saturday league, or even if you're still knocking around with your kind of midweek six aside um, league and your, your team there, there's always a team that you you hate playing against. So it's really nice that professional footballers also have that that element to their thinking too it's quite reassuring really um yeah 
but I, I, I wish Clint all the best now moving forward. You know, he's, he's at Stockport with his with his friend Dave Challoner, and and I guess he'll be hoping that that you know they're, they're a decent spell there, promotion to the um, to League Two, and just missing out on the playoff final last year. Um, I think they'll be hoping out, hoping that this season turns out well. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but we recorded with him a few days before they had Wrexham, and I think they saw Wrexham off 5-0. 5 0. Five um, yeah. So maybe Clint, Clint needs to come on more regularly if the results do drop off later on in the season. And I can't wait to watch that on the documentary as well, and knowing that oh, we yeah. played our small, small, small part in that. <laughs> I'm sure that will make the cut. Actually, it may, it may make the cut. I guess it may be one of those where they they keep it in simply for the uh, for the narrative. But um, yeah, good luck to Clint and uh, yeah, all the best. And if he's uh, got a spare weekend and fancies uh, an afternoon at twenty five, I'm sure there'll be plenty of Palace fans who would uh, love to buy that man a drink. Which I think we say off pretty much every episode so far in this series. Basically, come to SC twenty five and we'll get you we'll get you smashed. It's pretty much it. There's going to be one day in the future where all the these legends we've interviewed come at the same time, and it's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great day. What's, it's what's, what's nice is... And... Go on. No, I was, I was going to applaud you for not getting that excited with the mention of Matt Janssen uh, in the first part of the pod, so um, you did well to contain yourself. Thank you. I've been working on that. My therapist is proud of me. Um, it's, it's also, um, you know, since doing these episodes now, this, the, in these interviews, we've now got teams we've got a soft spot for. So there's obviously Shrewsbury, um, Stockport, and um, Ertel's Timberyard as well. So it's nice to sort of look out at all these different places <laughs> that we can keep an eye on. Yeah, I can't wait for the, uh, yeah, for potential sponsorship deals with Johnny Ertel's Timber Company in, in years to come. That would be a good one. But yeah, maybe we'll, that's, that's the name of the game for you and between now and the end of the season in trying to squeeze in a reference to Johnny Ertel's Timber Company in every episode before now and the end of the, the interview series. And if you don't understand that reference, listeners, go back and listen to the Johnny Ertel interview uh, and it will be clear. And in fact, if you haven't heard any of the, any of the interviews, do go back and listen to them because uh, they are, they're a great walk down Palace memory lane. Right, Jack, thanks very much. Um, back next month. And next month, uh, it's, it's a biggie. It is. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to get that one out there. And I, I dare I say we might be celebrating an FYP birthday? Potentially. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. But uh, if there. you're enjoying this series, do listen next month. If you're a patron, you, you are you already know you're getting this episode two days early as well. So if you want to get these episodes early, um, then do join our Patreon, patreon.com slash FYP podcast. And that's it. Uh, see you next month for another interview. Until then, um, keep listening to the normal pods, I guess. Um, and up the palace. Podcast Network.